Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. Let's talk about Instacart. Instacart provides fast and contactless grocery delivery. Download the app or visit instacart.com and find your favorite retailers. Search and add items to your cart and when you're ready to check out, select a delivery time that works for you. Then a personal shopper will gather your items and store with care just as you would. You can even message your shopper along the way. And with Instacart's contactless delivery, your order will be safely left on your doorstep. Help support us and get $10 off your first three orders of $35 or more when you use the link in this episode's description to sign up and enter promo code 30OFF3NEW at checkout. That's 30OFF3 N-E-W. Offer ends April 11th, 2021. While supplies last, minimum order of $35 required per order. Terms apply. Hey. Hey. How are you? I'm great. Definitely not punchy. Good. <laughs> We're not in a weird mood. <laughs> nope. Everything's good. Everything's fine. Yep. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing better than your phone was earlier this week. That's true. I I, uh, I shattered my phone uh, while rage texting my sister about a TV show, but I got it repaired today, so that's fine. It's all good. It's all good. You know? Yeah, and what else? We have been trying to find a name for our fans. That's true. Actually, someone DM'd me on Instagram, on our, like, Not Today Instagram, and uh, she was like, oh, uh, I, I want a name. Like, I want to know what we are. And I was like, oh, that's that's so fun. Yeah, no, for sure. And then we were trying to think of stuff, and we came up with some very, really, really shitty ones. Yes, very cringy <laughs> ones. Um, Todaybees. <laughs> that's so funny for me because i we're baby (laughs) (laughs) oh god that's so cringy uh well clearly you can see that we have not the best ideas we're having some trouble um so if you have any any ideas shoot me a dm you know let me know we'd love to hear um yeah or email us or email us i don't know you know you guys like email better (laughs) we're having creative differences it doesn't matter anyway (laughs) oh man this week's story is a what a doozy is that the right word uh i don't know what there's no right word for the story it's crazy uh it talk about inspiring talk about overcoming uh just all of the just it's it's an insane story so let's just jump in so today we are going to be talking about mary vincent and in 1978, Mary Vincent was a 15-year-old girl living in Las Vegas. Um, Mary was one of seven children, and she lived with her parents at the time. Uh, her father, Herb, was a slot machine repairman, and her mother, Lucy, was a casino card dealer. And she wasn't very close to her parents. But in 1978, in Nevada, 15-year-old Mary loved to dance. Uh, Her dance instructors told her that she was born to dance and that she was going to make it big someday. She was also really good with her hands and she like kind of liked to tinker is the word she used. I mean, that's not a weird word, but anyway, tinkering. She's Um, a tinkerer. She's she's a tinker. But her ultimate dream in life was to become a mother. Her parents, Herb and Lucy, were having a hard time around, you know, the age of 15, or not not her parents being 15, but when she was 15, that was when her parents were like kind of having a hard time. And they were deciding to divorce, which was really hard for Mary at the time, as it is for most teens. Um, But Mary didn't really know how to handle the changes going on in her home life, so she began to skip school. But one day, while Mary was at home, her sister came home and told her that her dad was on his way home and was mad at her. 
And this basically was a warning from her sister for some, you know, for some reason. I'm not sure exactly what the situation was. Apparently her father had a migraine and was angry and was coming home. So she was like, you need to get out of the house. So Mary basically took this opportunity to leave her home and run away. And she said that she left home to save her life. It wasn't to seek wild times. And she said that at that time, she didn't know anything about the world. She just knew that she wanted to, you know, be out of her home. So she lived... Okay. What? Sorry. but So it doesn't seem like he had a migraine. It seemed like he, I don't know, had was showing signs of being abusive. Potentially. Like if she's leaving because she's in fear of her life... Yeah. That's not a migraine. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't really know the whole situation of her home life. There wasn't too much detail on it, but it does kind of seem that way, if that's, you know, what she said about it, but I don't know. Anyway, she ended up on the streets, um, and she spent nights behind garbage cans and inside locked cars, uh, cars, because, quote, it was safe to do that back then, which I don't, I don't agree with, I guess, you know? Yeah, maybe they thought it was safe. Maybe I don't know. I just like would would it ever be safe? Yeah, I don't know. So she's spending the night in other people's cars. Yeah, and locking the door. Well, yeah, I guess that's better than just sleeping outside. That's true. That is true. It is better than sleeping, you know, out in the world. Hope hope the owner doesn't come back. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess it. I don't know. She said it was safe to do back then. So I mean, I'm sure there's some validity to that statement. I didn't live back then, so I don't know. But Mary ended up making her way to Berkeley, California, and I don't know if that's actually considered the Bay Area, but it's near San Francisco. And with nothing promising happening there for her, she decided that she would hitchhike to her grandfather's house and then possibly back home to Vegas. And her plan was to take I-80 up to Sacramento, down the 5 toward LA, and then take the 15 to Nevada toward Vegas. I don't fully know what that means, but if someone else else there does, great. Now you know her route. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Um, So anyway, her plan was to hitchhike down there. Hitchhiking was much more common at that time, and many people wouldn't think twice about getting a ride from a stranger. um, Because it was, what, the 70s, I said? Yeah, 1978. So... On September 29th, she stood on the side of the highway along with two other young hitchhikers with a sign that said, headed south. And it turned out that they were all headed in the same direction, so they thought that they'd be able to hitch a ride together, which is kind of the, you know, perfect situation, you know? Right, yeah. Um, Strength in numbers. Yeah, for sure. Um, Make some new friends. Yeah, you know, it's fun. It's the 70s. Groovy, man, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So after waiting a few minutes, Lawrence Singleton pulled up in a blue van and he was the age of her grandfather and had a kind smile. And even though the other two were going the same way as Mary and Lawrence Singleton was driving a literal van, he, and could fit them all. He told them that he could only take Mary, which is definitely a red flag. The two other hitchhikers, said that they were getting bad vibes from the man and asked her to stay and wait with them because something very obviously didn't feel right with this whole situation. But Mary was pretty desperate and tired and wanted to get her to her destination, so she just hopped in the van because apparently he seemed pretty unthreatening at that point, you know? Right. I mean, at least to her. I don't know if she was just blinded by her, her you know, tiredness and just, you know, wanting to be where she was going. Because clearly the other two of them were like, mm, 
maybe not. But, you know, to her, she was like, it'll be fine. He looks like my grandfather. Right. Let's get it. You know, I looked like just like a sweet old man to her. Yeah. I mean, she described him as a kind smile, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so Lawrence told Mary that he could take her all the way down to Los Angeles, but he needed to stop at his home first in San Pablo. And she agreed to, you know, go back to his house because, I mean, at this point, she kind of didn't really have a choice. Um, And after the quick errand, they hopped on the highway toward Interstate 5. And I think that this kind of gave her a false sense of security almost, the fact that they did stop at his house because, you know, he could have, something bad could have happened at that point, but it didn't. So... Right. Yeah. And then he also said, I'm going to go here. And then he went there. Yeah. And then he's so, like, okay, now we'll get on the road and we'll go to Los Angeles. So at this point, she has no reason to not believe him. But, you know, it just kind of gave her a little a little false sense of security, I'm assuming. So everything in the beginning seemed normal. And Lawrence told Mary that he had a daughter about her age, which also calmed her nerves a little bit. But very soon after that, shit got weird. You know, it, it it didn't take too long for things to go south. So Mary pulled out a cigarette and sneezed after taking a puff. And as she was opening her eyes, Lawrence had reached over and put his hand on the back of her neck to pull her closer to him and said, let's see if you're sick. What the fuck? Which is very weird very invasive like don't touch me i don't know you but mary obviously didn't like the physical contact and pulled away from his reach dude people sneeze yeah no i mean it was definitely a very weird reaction to have and and mary sensed that and then at that point she was like oh this is not normal this is definitely weird um so he waited until this point to be like oh yeah i'm actually not driving south i'm driving north but i can drop you off at interstate 5 junction and Mary said that was fine, but... No, it's like, thanks, fucker. You've just taken me farther away from my destination. Right, yeah. I mean, at this point, she's kind of gotten the sense that things are a little weird, but she's yeah. just trying to keep her cool, and she's like, okay, that's fine. Just please drop me off wherever right. you can. Right. But Mary knew that it was going to be a little while, and I guess she was pretty tired, and she did drift off to sleep. And when she woke up, it was dark outside, but she could still read the signs on the side of the road and realized that they were far past the point where he said that he would drop her off. So now she's super freaked out and angry. I mean, rightfully so. And she found a sharp stick that was behind the passenger seat and pointed it at Singleton and demanded he turn the van around and take her where she was headed. And Singleton calmly apologized and claimed that it was just an honest mistake and he wasn't going to hurt her and he turned the car around on the highway, which also kind of was like, okay, great. Now I have the situation back again, you know, like it's not so bad. Right. But after a while, Singleton claimed that he had to use the bathroom and he couldn't make it until the next rest station. So he pulled the car over on a secluded road and... Mary now at this point knows that something really doesn't feel right. And as they're coming to a stop, she decides that she's going to make a run for it. As soon as the car stops, she's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to book it, which is perfect. Yeah, perfect. Um, But right as she hopped out, she noticed that her shoe was untied and she bent down to quickly tie it up first. And right as she bent down, everything went black. Singleton had struck her in the back of the head with a small sledgehammer and she was knocked unconscious. 
So I just want to take a quick second to say that this story does uh, include sexual assault. Um, so if you know if you don't feel comfortable listening to that today, that's totally fine. Um, but so at this point, she is unconscious, and he dragged her to the back of the van, and he sexually assaulted her, and he told her that if she didn't do exactly as he said, he would kill her. He then left her in the back of the van and drove a short ways down the road to an even more secluded area, which is an absolute nightmare. It's so scary. Like, um, just chills, like, ugh. Yeah. Um, and after coming to a stop, he cut her hands free and ordered her to drink an unknown liquid from a plastic jug, making her very woozy and confused. Singleton then proceeded to rape her until she passed out. When she regained consciousness, he ordered her to lie on the edge of the road, and she began pleading with him to set her free and that she wouldn't tell anyone. She's just saying anything she can to try and, you know, get him to stop. But as all this was happening, he went back to the van and pulled out a hatchet from the toolbox. And Mary grabbed onto his arm to try to stop him from what he was about to do. But then she began falling backwards. And at this point, she realized that he had cut her arm off. What? Yes. So he then grabbed her other arm but she began kicking and screaming and putting up a fight, which really just prolonged what was going on. So both of Mary's arms were severed right below the elbow, which... With a hatchet. Which a, with a hatchet, yes. It's, and the, the, the way she realizes is that she was falling backwards. Yeah, because she was holding on to him, and then she lost her arm, which was what was holding on to him, and she began to fall backwards. Which is, like, I, I don't even know how to begin to <laughs> wrap my head around that. I don't, really. No. But it's just, I mean, this woman is the strongest person I've ever heard of. And, like, her story is just, it, it's horrible and insane and just so many things. It's so many things. But, yeah, so this is what's going on right now. Both of Mary's arms were severed right below the elbow. And after both of her arms were removed she laid on the ground bleeding out and looking at him and she said that he began flicking his arms around and she couldn't figure out why until she looked at the end of his arm and saw that her hand was still tightly clutched onto him and he was trying to shake it off so the nerves in her hand were still tense which is just so scary uh (laughs) it's just so much um So Mary decided her best bet at this point was to play dead. And I agree, you know? Like, I mean, there's nothing else you can do at that point. And that's the best call for sure. Singleton then began dragging her seemingly lifeless naked body and threw Mary off of a 30-foot cliff into Del Puerto uh, Canyon. Because I guess this road was kind of like on the edge of a like a, a cliff, I guess. Pretty much. Pretty much. And 30 feet. 30 feet. And she, he threw her off of it. And her, the fall broke four of Mary's ribs. And that wasn't even it, unfortunately. We're not done. No, we're not. So he then climbed down to where she was and stuffed her body into a cement pipe and drove off. I guess he was like just trying to conceal her body. I guess he assumed that if she wasn't already dead, she was going to die soon. So he just tried to get her out of sight. Because he's a monster. He is a... Yeah. I mean, that's not even the right word. Like, yeah, he, it's no so much more word than that. that can describe the evil within him. Right. So, 
he put her body in a cement pipe and then drove off. So now Mary is lying in the dark at the bottom of this ravine, feeling every single thing that just happened to her. And she was losing a lot of blood and was really fighting to stay conscious. Um, Both her arms are cut off. Yes. And she broke four ribs. And, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So she said, I should have bled to death. I didn't and I never passed out. I remember everything. I wanted to give up and go to sleep, but I felt someone there with me. A presence who wanted me to survive. A voice told me to get up and get help or someone else would die. So, oh my God. So her whole, you know, will to live at this point is not, I mean, it's obviously to save herself because that's important, but also it's to save someone else. She's like, if I don't live through this, he's going to do this again. And I can't let that happen, which is so selfless and just incredible, I think. And like, definitely not something you would think of no as the reason you would want to survive yeah i mean it's it just says so much about who she is as a person and so she decided that in order to curb the bleeding she could stick her arms in the mud to like pack her wounds and then she would hold her arms over her head to try to slow the bleeding down so it wasn't just pouring out of her it was you know kind of had to go up and out That's genius. It is. It's genius. And she did a good enough job to where she was able to begin climbing out of this ravine. And she began hearing the sounds of cars driving by, which actually motivated her to keep climbing. But it took her hours to finally get herself back up to where the road was because, you know, it's steep and she had no arms and she's bleeding and, you know, just all of the things. Like, you can just... I don't even know how to explain it better, but... So once she got up to the road, she had to walk another three miles to get to the nearby highway because, like I said, uh, you know, earlier, this was a very secluded road and it was dark and there was nothing going on. So she needed to get where cars would be passing her, you know? Three miles. Yeah. Wow. In the dark, too. Yeah, after uh, like a severe blood loss. Yes. So the first people... So she made it to the highway. And the first people who spotted her did not stop and immediately sped away in fear. I mean, if you think about the way she looks, that is definitely terrifying. But at the same time, like, help. She needs help. (laughs) She needs help. Right. She's still naked at this point. She is. Yeah. She's naked. She's naked, covered in blood and mud and has no No arms arms and is holding her arms above her head. Yeah. Like, this is... I don't know. It's kind of like out of the script of a horror movie. It is. Like, I'm I mean, sure these people were just scared shitless. I feel like there are some stories out there where like you hear it and it sounds so insane. And if and you think about, oh, this sounds like a horror movie. But if you think about that actually happening in a horror movie, I feel like I'd be like, oh, this is so unrealistic. You know, like that would never happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just so this- unbelievable. Yeah, this is reality. I mean, this is re- this is real. This is a real story that actually happened to someone. And if I saw it in a movie, I'd be like, nah, that's not real. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but... But it did. Tell me another car came by. Oh, absolutely. So thankfully, a couple on their honeymoon who had missed their exit came across Mary and stopped to help her. They wrapped her in linens from their car and drove to a nearby airport where she was taken by helicopter to a nearby hospital. Because 
if you remember, we're in the 70s and there's no cell phones. There's nothing. So they just had to race her to the nearest anything, which happened to be an airport. So Right. Oh my God, because they missed their exit. Because they missed their exit. Shit happens for a reason. Yeah, that is some fate right there. That is crazy. But so she is at the hospital at this point and doctors said that she had lost half of the blood in her body and she was in shock and had broken four ribs. And after 10 days of fighting for her life a second time, Mary was stable again and was fitted for prosthetic arms. And in the hospital, Mary immediately worked with police to help identify and find her attacker. She was able to provide law enforcement with with such a detailed description of her attacker that people immediately recognized Singleton from the police sketch and was identified by a neighbor of his. Wow. He's going down. Oh, he's going down. So police go to Larry's house and they were able to quickly connect him to the crime because Mary's cigarette butts and bits of her clothing were found on his property. He had tried to destroy the evidence, I think by burning them, but he clearly didn't do a very good job, which I I think it's just a little funny that he tried to burn cigarette butts and couldn't even do that. (laughs) Couldn't even do that. You dumb shit. You dumb shit. Um, So that evidence was found in his home in California, but he also had a home in Nevada. And when that was searched, they found the blue van that Mary had described, but the van was gutted at this point. The interior was completely taken out and and it had actually been done with the help of one of his neighbors. Um, So the police went to the neighbor and they said, or the neighbor said that he had no idea why he wanted to take apart his entire van but larry asked him to and he was an old man so he's like i just helped him out not thinking anything of it which i mean i understand you know it's just some neighbor and he's like hey can you help me out he's like yeah sure don't expect your neighbor to be capable of committing murder no no definitely not more than trying to more than murder yes you know Um, So Lawrence insisted that he hadn't committed the crime and claimed that Mary was a, quote, $10 a night whore, which is just like, come on, dude. I mean, really? That? Like, (laughs) that's your best bet. We're not surprised, but just stooping ever lower, Larry. Of course. So he also said that he had picked up two other men that day, and uh, it was one man named Pedro and the other was named Larry which is weird is weird because you couldn't even come up with a name that wasn't your own interesting uh was it you was it you larry so he said that the four of them meaning larry larry pedro and mary had uh all smoked together and drank and then they all paid mary for sex and he claimed that he fell asleep and when he woke up the other larry was driving and he said that mary's clothes were still in the car but mary wasn't quote the other larry had claimed that they had dropped her off but that story didn't last long he couldn't even keep one story straight and he later claimed that mary had tried to kidnap him and said that she would accuse him of rape if he didn't drive her to la right right because that makes complete sense because she still has both of her arms right right um he also said that he had no memory of the attack because he was blackout drunk which doesn't make a difference in my mind and you were driving yes well he said he wasn't driving he said the other larry was driving but i mean even if you were blackout drunk 
and there was a, there was an attack, you still did the attack. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't take it away. It doesn't negate it. So it's like, okay, Larry. Some lawyer's going to rip him apart. Yeah. Very shortly. Anyway, six months later, Larry was put on trial and Mary stood up in front of the court and testified against him. She only referred to Singleton as my attacker, and she made it very clear that he was the person that did this to her. Larry was convicted of kidnapping, first-degree rape, and the attempted murder, and was given the maximum sentence at the time of 14 years. Wow. Yeah. The judge presiding over the court even said, if I had the power, I would send him to prison for the rest of his natural life. But that was the sentence. That was the maximum sentence at the time. So he couldn't do more, which is just crazy. Insane. Um, Yeah. But apparently after everything was said and done, Larry made a quiet comment to Mary as she was leaving. He later admitted that he told her, I'll finish this job if it takes the rest of my life. Which left Mary, unsurprisingly, absolutely traumatized. I mean who like right how how is it that she was able to be close enough to him that he could say something quietly to her you know who let that happen right that is so fucked and who and after noticing that he said something to her because someone must have seen this interaction how did they not shank him you know (laughs) or just punch him square in his stupid face like that is that should not have happened but Regardless, Mary won $2.5 million in a civil civil case against him. When Mary's attorney requested Singleton appear in court so they could examine his ability to pay the $2.5 million for what he did to her, Lawrence voiced that he was afraid he would be shot if he appeared, so he had never appeared in court. Which is like... You appeared in court the first time. Okay, you coward. Like, what the... What? (laughs) Like, you're... I don't... You I can't just, just skip court. No, yeah, of course not. But he was he was like, oh, it's dangerous for me. God no one cares, me. dude. Well, everyone cares. And I hope well, he would... No one shot. cares about your concern. Oh, yes, absolutely. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's exactly right. So Mary was only awarded $13,000 by the state's Victims of Crimes Act and 6000 from a small donation made in her name to help her back on her feet. Wait, so... What happened with the 2.5 mil? So he was broke, essentially, and he couldn't pay. And it's more of a formality, you know, to win that money, to be like, oh, he, I won that much money. But if he can't pay it, she doesn't get it. Like, it just, it doesn't just materialize, you know? He has to True. have money to get it. So she was only awarded 13000 because of that. What? Here's what I'm confused about. So he's broke, mm-hmm. yes, but he has two houses. Yeah. Can he be forced to, like, liquidate those? I don't know. I'm getting too technical, but... No, I mean, I don't... I think they should do it, and then any money he ever makes for the rest of his life should go to her. He's gonna get out in 14 years. That's true. Apparently. Yeah. No, I agree. Probably earlier, because they're gonna fucking let him out on good behavior. Well, yeah, spoiler alert, but, um... Every uh, fucking time. Every fucking time. I know. I know. It's, It's so frustrating. Every single time. It's so frustrating. But, yeah, I mean, he should have to pay... He should have to, you know get rid of his houses and pay her whatever money he has left. And I'm maybe he did. I don't, or maybe they forced him to, I really don't know. But anyway, she only got the 13,000 and then an additional 6,000 from donations made for her, you know, to get to help her. And Mary said that after the attack, her parents came to get her, but were in her opinion, never much help. Because if you recall, all of this happened to a 15 year old 
who is still 15 at the time. Like, you just, it's it's hard to remember that fact because you couldn't even imagine that happening to anyone, let alone a 15-year-old. Yeah, a child. Yeah. So her parents had to come pick her up because she's a child. So she said they couldn't handle it and they took it harder than me. Um, she said, I'm telling them I need you, but they couldn't do it. They were more interested in what they felt about what happened to me than what I felt. So wow. still their relationship is strained. It's not very good. And it's also just not much help to Mary, which is tragic because that's what she needs right now is some support. Yeah, I know. It's like she fell into an abyss and there's supposed to be like the handhold she can grab onto to get back out. And it's just not there. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Because she's still 15 years old, she had to go back to school and she started attending a school for the disabled, which she hated. Um, And at home, she had trouble with her family and many of her close relationships began to fall apart. She became depressed and anorexic and had trouble even leaving her house, which, I mean, at that point, with no support and with what happened, it's just, I don't want to say understandable, but, like, it is understandable. Like, yeah, I it's, mean, it's how crazy. lonely. Yeah, insanely and, like, lonely. And, has to deal with this enormous trauma on her own. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she felt really isolated and thought of herself as a freak, which is her words. I would never say that right Um, but she couldn't dance anymore which was super upsetting to her because the muscles from her legs had been taken to save her arms oh my god so even even that was like taken away which is just so so sad and the rest of her teenage years were filled with anger and pain and everyone knew who she was because she had been through a really difficult like very specific thing and her wounds weren't on the inside it was very i mean they were on the inside but she had no she had both of her arms amputated yeah so i mean she still had from the elbow up but still it's a very visible thing so everyone knew who she was because this was such a big story and i i don't know if she you know was in a smaller town but everyone knew who she was which was very difficult yeah, with um, the case that public, everyone knows. Absolutely, and she just couldn't escape from the nightmare that she had survived, which sucks. It just sucks. And Mary used this opportunity to talk to teenagers about the dangers of hitchhiking and what can happen to you, which is so strong and brave for her to do that. That's amazing. Um, and as soon as she graduated, she traveled around looking for a place to create her own life. And Eventually, she landed in Gig Harbor, Washington, and her plan was to start a family of her own, but she didn't get to enjoy her new life for very long because after serving only eight years and four months, San Quentin released Larry because he was a, quote, model prisoner. I fucking called it. Yeah, we called it. I mean, that's just what happens in every goddamn story, but this was uh, this was even after a psychological... Uh, a psychologist? That's what I want. Psychologist. <laughs> a psych- you guys understand. <laughs> a psychologist. Love that. This was even after a psychologist who looked after Larry said, because he is so out of touch with his hostility and anger, he remains an elevated threat to other safety inside and outside of prison. Make that make sense. How was he released as a model prisoner when the person who's looking after him said that he remains a threat to people even inside prison right let alone outside let alone outside greenlit that decision 
I don't know. But whoever did, I would like to send a strongly worded letter to. Just, that's it? Well, <laughs> I, I'll... You I'll, can do better. I'll leave it there. I would, I'll, yeah. I'd like to so, give him a swift kick in the nuts, too. Yes. In summation, <laughs> yes. we made a colossal dumbass mistake by releasing him. Absolutely. And throughout his time in prison, Singleton maintained his story that he was innocent and he had never raped or dismembered Mary. So, obviously, the public is outraged and protests broke out and many towns in California refused to allow him to live there. So Larry ended up spending his parole in a trailer on San Quentin grounds under a curfew and watch of guards, which I guess is better than nothing, but also I, I'm still mad about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he should still be in prison, but it sounds like at least he's, he's being watched and he can't leave? Yes, but at the same time, I mean, we've already discussed that, he, like, the psychologist said that he remained a threat, which is incredibly dangerous, but he never even acknowledged what he did. He still said that he was innocent. So, clearly, this is not a person who's able to be out and about, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and hasn't, hasn't um, shown any remorse. Right, no remorse. None. So, he's clearly... 100% still a threat to everyone, which was said, but it apparently doesn't matter. I'm angry. Anyway, this led to the passing of the No Second Chances for Murderers, Rapists, or Child Molesters Act of 1998, which is very to the point. We love That's that. Self-descriptive, really. We love that. So, which upped the maximum sentencing for one of these offenders to life in prison and ceases the early release of criminals who use torture in their crime. So if this was around when Larry was being, you know, sentenced, he could have been there for life and, you know, not been released. But this happened because of him, which I guess is still something. The fact yeah. that something came out of this to make the sentencing a little bit better is is not nothing. You it's know a, what I it's mean? It's a win. It's a win. It is a win. It's and definitely a win. It wouldn't have happened if she hadn't decided to fight. That's true. In that moment. That's true. This is all because of Mary. It's, mm -hmm. it's not because of Singleton. It's because of no. Mary. But then Larry tried to sue Mary. Because that makes complete sense. Oh my God. He felt that he was the victim in all of this, and he claimed that while he was in jail, he considered the alleged events and he knew that he was not guilty. He said he remembered Mary threatening to accuse him of rape and that if she, and that she brandished a stick at him, which was this huge deal in his mind. He's like, he she threatened me with this sharp stick, therefore she's she's guilty. Which he then decided was the reason that he became violent. So he was like, because she brandished this stick at me, this young 15-year-old girl, and I'm this old big man, I had to become violent with her because she threatened me. Right. Right. So he claimed the courts mistreated him and he filed a complaint suing Mary for, quote, forcible kidnap for the purposes of robbery. Does she get to skip this? Like, this is this yeah, should be just, left out of the courtroom. Should you just call in sick that day? Because that's some bullshit. Um, he said after he filed the complaint, he, quote, almost vomited three times and could not sleep for several nights because he was so worked up about the whole thing. Which, I mean, this case was essentially laughed out of court and it never gained traction and they dismissed it. Thank God. So Good. Yeah. Go home and vomit and not sleep some more. 
piece of shit. Yeah, honestly. So Larry's early release caused Mary to go into hiding and she struggled with nightmares. She said, I've broken bones thanks to my nightmares. I've jumped out. I've jumped up and dislocated my shoulder just trying to get out of bed. I've cracked ribs and smashed my nose. Every day I pray to God to make a space I can breathe in and every day God gives it to me. So she was afraid to stay in one place too long. And she went through a series of bodyguards and ended up living in a deserted gas station for a while because she was so terrified of being anywhere that was like traceable, you know? Right. She's so terrified that she's having nightmares that are physically harming her. Yeah. That's insane to me. It's, it's terrible. But Mary wasn't the only one living in constant fear. Larry's daughter, Deborah, also fled and hid. She asked law enforcement if there was any way that they could keep him behind bars, but the police just suggested she get a restraining order, which isn't a great option because that just gives him her name and where she lives, and then it just says, don't go there. Yeah, that's some dumb shit. We're like, okay, let's think logically about this. We have a person who rapes children Mm -hmm. and then tries to murder them. Do and we tortures thi- them. And tortures them. Mm-hmm. Do we think he's going to follow a restraining order? No. Of course not. But this wasn't... It wasn't their problem. Sorry, he, he, got, he was a model prisoner. Anyway, so at this point, since California was less than welcoming to Larry, he decided to move back to his home state of Florida. And in 1990, he was convicted of, thre- of theft twice, but only served a 60-day sentence. And... On February 19th, 1997, he lured a young sex worker by the name of Roxanne Hayes to his home where he attacked her. A local house painter noticed the horrific scene unfolding and quickly called the police. And in his 911 call, he described that a nude man covered in blood was repeatedly stabbing a nude woman who lay motionless on the sofa. He also claims that he could hear the sound of bones being crunched. Oh my god. Which is horrifying. Um, But when police arrived, Larry answered the door completely naked and covered in blood. He wasn't even trying to hide the fact that this was happening. He claimed that he was trying to get a knife from Roxanne and said that he he wound up stabbing her multiple times because it was self-defense. This was just another one of these crazy things where he couldn't handle a woman just being around he, he was threatened so he had to stab her multiple times which is yeah like how complete, many times complete and utter bullshit multiple yeah, self-defense is not bone cracking even if i mean like ugh, i don't know it's just it's just disgusting that he thinks he can literally get away with this and he did the first time i mean he did yeah he's delusional he's delusional Anyway, complete bullshit. But Roxanne was a 31-year-old mother who was just doing what she had to do to get by, and the news of this incident sent Mary into panic. She began having nightmares again and had constant panic attacks and even hired bodyguards again and was constantly moving. So Mary flew from California to Florida to testify on behalf of Roxanne, which I just think is this strongest thing you know like you facing the man that absolutely tortured you and attempted to murder you on behalf of this woman just to make sure that he is never able to do this again you know he like yeah it's just so much it's 
so brave. But yeah, so she went to Florida and she testified against Larry and went into great detail about what happened to her and painted a very clear picture about why the ultimate punishment should be handed down to Larry. So on April 14th, 1988, after only four hours of deliberation, Lauren Singleton was convicted of murder and sentenced to death. And he did end up dying on death row in 2001 of cancer. So at least he's dead, you know? Yeah, and then she had she had closure that he wasn't gonna come and finish the job. Yeah, I mean it did it did give her some sense of closure, which is good. But this was how many years after? Ten years after. It happened in seventy eight, and he died in two thousand one. No, no. When did he get um, convicted? Convicted in nineteen ninety eight. Oh, ninety eight. So twenty years. Well, I guess 20 like twenty years from when it happened oh, oh, oh. to when he was convicted. But yes. then he was in jail for eight. Right. But 12 years pretty much where she was like in hiding yeah yeah as if he didn't affect her enough as if he didn't take all of her mental sanity away and physically took her arms took her arms he just like he she couldn't even dance yeah she couldn't even dance he took everything from her yeah but i mean you know she was living in hiding or she was living in fear for all of those years but she did manage to move on and live her life, you know? she. I mean, obviously she was terrified for that time, but she still managed to live her life. And in 2001, she finally got some sense of closure and got a family. She had a family. She, she married a man that she loved and she had two sons with him and she became an artist actually. And her, her prosthetic arms were apparently kind of cheap with like metal fingers that just moved really stiffly in one direction and not side to side. Um, Mm -hmm. but she said as someone who likes to tinker, she used some spare parts from a broken down refrigerators and old stereo systems and her pro and, and made her prosthetics into some up-to-date models that she wears today. (laughs) So she fixed her own prosthetics. Yeah. Now her fingers are able to turn in all directions. Wow. That is remarkable. Yeah. She's incredible. She's incredible. And, um, she said, I like to tinker, and so did my grandfather. He was an artist, too, so I guess I get it from him. Um, and during this time, Mary actually discovered that she could draw, which was not a skill that she possessed before her attack, which is super interesting. She said, I couldn't draw a straight line, even with a ruler. I would mess it up. There was something that woke up after the attack, and my artwork has inspired me and given me self-esteem. Wow. I'm so glad she found something. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like she had nothing. Like she, she had the family she created. She had some people that she surrounded herself with, and you know, she was able to move forward and do this. And now she has art, which is incredible. I'm so yeah, like I am so happy that she found art after not being able to pursue dancing, which is something that she was seriously going to pursue. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think she went to what the Bay Area, San Francisco, in the beginning to try to pursue dancing. And then she couldn't because nothing came of it, you know? Right, okay. Um, But now she has art, which is amazing. And she's really good at it. She's really, really good at it. She mainly works with chalk pastels and creates powerfully upbeat women. She creates her own version of female action figures. She said they're delicately made sex symbols that know with absolute assurance how to take care of themselves. Which is so cool, in my opinion. (laughs) She also draws family portraits on commission working from photographs. And in one of the articles I read about her artwork, it was like, oh, she just always makes the people like look their best. 
you know she just she takes away any like small imperfection and just makes them their best self you know yeah that's really cool yeah she's amazing and yeah she was able to put her past behind her and she married a man and had two sons like i said and had a bunch of pets i think she even had like a parrot like some hamsters some dogs some cats like a whole like she had a zoo she had a whole zoo up in there (laughs) and she's taking care of her animals she loves her sons and Mary also found healing in becoming a uh, in becoming a leading victim's advocate. She said, "I would I would never have been able to turn from victim to survivor without advocates and attorneys. I will never get over being attacked. I wake up every morning with a constant reminder." She said as she shrugged her shoulders and held her prosthetic arms up. But I can move past it, is what she said. So that's you know amazing and she's she still tells her stories to spread awareness and she said it doesn't matter what you think you're not 10 feet tall and bulletproof i used to think that but look what happened to me because there's always somebody who can take you down if you don't stay aware which is very true especially as a woman you know amen yeah i I don't know like as a 15 year old you're like i can't die i'm well yeah but you you know yeah you gotta be careful but I think I just thought that was a, a powerful message, you know. Yeah, it's very succinct and yeah, um, yeah. But that is the story of Mary Vincent. It is, wow, you know. Yeah, wow, wow's a word. I don't know. A, a yeah. lot of times I just don't know the right the right yeah, words we, to say. We, we've said this a number of times this podcast, but yeah, it's just no words. Yeah. Yeah, can describe how terrible this was, but. You know, the other side of it is how amazing she is and how... And inspiring and brave and just amazing. Like, the fact that she went and... I mean, it's just... The fact that she made it out of the ravine to be like, I don't want this to happen to someone else. And then, you know, lived through that trauma, overcame her struggles moved away like built her life from the ground up like surviving through not only this crazy attack but also through all of her you know mental struggles like depression and all these things that she had to overcome in her normal life just as a a teenager you know what i mean like it's hard to be a person period and she made it through so much and really built her life up and then when lauren singleton murdered roxanne hayes she went to Florida and faced him. She sat in a room again with him in front of him and faced her nightmare again, which is just incredible. So, whew, you know, talk about inspiring. Yeah. And uh, that, that that moment when she was like, I'm, he's going to do this to somebody else. Yeah. Made a difference because that law ended up getting passed and then she went to right. pretty I've, much I, put him on death row. Yeah, I didn't even... Uh, yeah, that last little bit I didn't even think about. But yeah, that, that whole law was passed because of her which is incredible damn you know yeah let's leave it there let's let's leave it there there. let's everyone take a breath (sighs) you know um but what is your good thing this week let's let's end on a light note shall we why don't you go why don't i go okay um i am getting my second vaccine tomorrow which is super exciting although i have to wake up super early and drive super far away to get it but that's all right i am a i am excited yeah, at least you can get it over with. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a, I'm very fortunate to be able to be in the position to get my second vaccine right now, so I'm not complaining. You know, it's just uh, it's gonna be early, and I'm not in I'm not an early bird. You no, know, neither of us are. No. Um, yeah, my <laughs> so 
while you were in the middle of saying that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I'm going to be able to sign up for the vaccine in like two weeks. Yeah, that's exciting. But I feel like I can't. You can. I can't steal your style like that. I mean, you know, that's exciting. It's that is exciting. It's good. That's a good thing. I mean, we had a good week with our with our friend who came for your, your birthday. Right. That was amazing. It was so um, nice oh, to no, see her. Yeah, we like went out to an actual restaurant for like the first time in like a long time. Yeah. And like sat at the bar, and mm-hmm. I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> yep. Yep. That's my good thing. Good. I finally got out. Amazing. It felt like some semblance of normal. For sure. So, we're, we're on our way, folks. We are on our there. way. But anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have a name you think we should refer to our... Yes, if our, you would like to name yourselves. Let us know. Let us know. Um, follow us on Instagram to send me a DM about that uh, at nottoday underscore podcast. If you have a story, please send it to me at nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok at nottodaypodcast. Uh, we have a Twitter, uh, not today podcast with a T on the end of podcast is a three, because that makes sense. And I think that's it. Yes. Yeah. Just, just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.